Hello and welcome to ELT Time with Ghana Education, where we talk with an industry guest about the hot topics and what's brewing in the ELT community. Hello and welcome to this special edition of ELT Time with Ghana Education. For obvious reasons, English language teachers around the world are suddenly finding themselves with an urgent need to upskill and become more effective online educators. My name is Matthew George and I'm Digital Manager here at Garnet and my guest today is Julieta Shernman and together we're going to talk through the basics of online language teaching, both in terms of the nuts and bolts of how to get going and with regard to pedagogy and virtual classroom management. Julieta is a specialist in the fields of education project management, training course design and delivery, teacher development, on-the-job training and materials design. So I'm delighted to be able to chat with her about these pressing issues. Julieta, hello. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Matt. How are you? I'm very good. Well, in the circumstances, pretty good anyway. <laughs> How are you? Yeah, I'm all right at home. Yeah, yeah. Um, so to start, maybe the best thing to do is just, just to run through your, your background in online teaching and your experiences to date. Yes, thank you. Um, I first started off as an e-moderator back in 2010 for Voluntary Service Overseas. Uh, I was one of their um, trainers on their face-to-face courses, pre-departure courses, but uh, they moved a lot of their training online. So that was my first experience. Um, And then since then, uh, I've done webinars for other publishers. Um, I was joint coordinator of IATEFL Global Issues, Special Interest Group, and we uh, did webinars as well. And that was probably my my initial introduction into the online world. Um, And then since then, it's just become uh, ever more uh, prevalent, I would say. So I was involved last year with um, the British Council in Pakistan delivering online training to um, groups of teachers. Um, I've had a, an ongoing relationship with the Hands Up Project. I don't know if you've heard of that. Yeah, yeah, a little bit. Do you want to tell us a bit more about that? Yeah, sure. So Nick Bilbra, uh, he actually set up the Hands Up Project uh, as a charity. And his his kind of vision was to get teachers from around the world to volunteer and deliver online lessons to students. Um, and I became involved with that back in 2017. So that that means giving a, a weekly online lesson to a class. So that's my, my current involvement. So that was uh, the first time really that I started to use Zoom as a platform. Um, and since then, I've used Zoom a lot more for training as well as for teaching. Uh-huh. Okay. So uh, moving into the, the, the realm of platforms, Zoom is Zoom for you is the one that you would would favor or recommend to someone getting started in the in the online teaching world? I think so. Um from my, my limited experience, because I'm by no means an expert, um platforms like Adobe Connect, Blackboard, Collaborate, um they, they all do much the same thing. Um I've used Adobe Connect for webinars and I uh I, I didn't realize that it's quite interesting that the whole system behind it in that you correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that you pay for different add-ons, if you like. Okay. So when we were doing webinars, we, we had the basics, which was the option of um, using a, a screen and sharing your screen to, to show your PowerPoint slides and a chat box. Um, but I've since discovered with Adobe Connect, it's far more complicated than that. There's so many other <laughs> things that you can add. So um, for me, Zoom, 
seems to do pretty much everything that I require at the moment. I think as I get more expert myself, um, you know, there may be uh, certainly other things that Zoom does, which I haven't found out about yet. But no, I would say for, for most people, Zoom seems to work particularly well. Yeah, yeah. And what's it, is it, is it relatively, in your experience, simple to use relative to the other platforms? What what's Is it just that it, it always works in, in all the different um, settings that you're, you're trying to use it in? What, what sets it apart, would you say? Um, I suppose I've used it in two different ways. Uh, with mm. teachers in Pakistan, it was simply, uh, they were all in a room together. So there were 30 teachers. Uh, they had uh, a projector, a screen, and they had a laptop at the at the front of the room. And um, essentially, uh, they could hear me. I, I wasn't really able to hear them. The only way that I could hear them was if they came out individually uh, to talk to the laptop at the front. So I wouldn't say that that the best way of exploiting Zoom. It it essentially allows you to share your PowerPoint slides, um, but it also has all these other features. For example, um, there is the option of breakout rooms, which means that if you have, um, say, up to, I mean, I've worked with up to 15 participants at any one time. If they're all logged in, uh, you have their names or faces on the screen, depending on whether they use their webcams or not. Um, and you've got the option of dividing them up into smaller groups of maybe two, three, four, five, whatever suits your purposes. Um, and then you can uh, open the rooms and they are then grouped. They can hear each other. They can share materials with each other. Uh, they obviously can chat and discuss and go through whatever task you've set them. And you're able to visit them and listen in on their conversation and and join in um so yeah that that can work that can work really well um zoom also has things like the polling feature so ahead of your session you can set up a poll which might be um, multiple choice type um questions um it could be straightforward questions where um participants can simply respond um, and then you launch that poll during your live session everybody all the participants can see that if they're logged in and they can respond and then you can publish the results online as well so it's quite handy if you want to ask questions to teachers like um what did i ask them recently it was about their own use of online tools with their students so we got some quite interesting uh, results from them about how many of them have experience how many of them are confident about using them what they use etc yeah confidence is an interesting one so so in uh, you're obviously a relatively well a very tech savvy um person um, <laughs> <laughs> i don't think you could call me that i'm i'm open to learning i think that's all i could say <laughs> yeah. but um do you think for for um newbies and people that with very little um experience of teaching online do you think these things are relatively easy to pick up or do you think there's a there's a steep learning curve when it comes to picking up using the software yeah, I think that's a really good question. I think because I started with Zoom, uh, as I as I described, just um, me and a class or a group, um, it was a lot easier. So all I had to do was make sure that my PowerPoint slides were, you know, kind of visible to everybody that they could hear me. So I started off, I suppose, at the kind of the slightly easier end of the continuum. Um, once you get into the realm of everybody um, logging in and working with you online, there, there is a, a little bit more to do. So I think 
I think the main thing is to kind of just try and keep calm because people don't know what's happening uh, at your end of the of the broadcast, if you like, simply because um, you know you, you've got options. I, I didn't mention Zoom has also has things like a chat box, um, mm-hmm. so you'll find yourself um, you know multitasking quite heavily, um, and this can be, I think, it can be a little bit daunting at the beginning. So I think it's it's quite good to just allow yourself time to to become familiar with what's available to you. Don't, for example, decide you're going to do a, a poll, you know, in your first session. Um, that's something that you can reserve for a little bit later on once you've got all the other things in place. I mean, the basics, I think the fact that you can share your screen so that your participants can see your PowerPoint slide. You can then add in a video links so that you can then show them a video uh, and you obviously devise some sort of questions or tasks that they do after they've watched. Um, you know, you can you can add in the features, I think, when you're ready for them. Uh, I think, that, you know, if you just deliver the basics for the first couple of times, that's that's fine. That's actually, yeah. you know, and that each time then it's a little bit like driving. You know, you you you, you kind of develop this unconscious competence after a while so that sure. um yeah you, you just find that things that were were quite challenging at the beginning become second nature mm, that's that's reassuring so so in in terms of um you're you're now set up you're a, a relatively competent user of your of your platform you'd have your yeah, you'd have your zoom or your equivalent and you'd have what else would you you have up and running and you'd have your your slides would you have anything else um any other bits and bobs running any other online tools or anything or to start with do you recommend just keeping it simple um i think once you've got the hang of zoom you can you can definitely start adding other things in um i didn't mention with zoom that it has quite a neat little feature as well which is um, a green screen option so i know that a lot of teachers who are working with the hands up project if they're for example doing a story um they've bought uh, a piece of green cloth which apparently they pretty easy to get uh, from online sources. Um, They hang that behind them and then you have the option of projecting any picture you like so that you can be telling a story and it's a, you know, let's say it's a a fairy story about, you know, sort of some magical thing that's happening in in a forest. Um, You would have a picture of a forest behind you. Um, And this is just, it's a small thing, but um, it's actually, I think it's quite a nice thing to do to to bring stories alive, for example. Online tools. Um, there are things that I've used and there are things that I haven't used, but I've heard are good. So, um, for example, I've used Padlet with groups of teachers. So we may discuss something together in the live session and then I'll leave them with the link uh, to the Padlet, which I've set up. Um, I guess everybody is familiar with Padlet. I I am. I don't know. I don't know what percentage of our listenership will be. Um, I, I think it's becoming quite well known. Yeah, but it's yeah. To be, to be honest, I I found I've only known about it for for a year or so, and it was yeah. It's very. It's a very good way of sharing content um, before and then after um, presentations, isn't it? Exactly. So you know, you, you can decorate it in whatever way you like, but essentially there are things that look like little post-it notes, which uh, th- at least that's the way I've used it, where students or teachers or whoever you're working with can then um, just post their own thoughts, suggestions, ideas, advice, or whatever on this this kind of wall, and it can be shared and uh, saved, and everybody can kind of um, see 
what people have said about p particular topics. So that's worked really well. Um, things that I've heard about which haven't used yet, uh, there's something called Flipgrid, which is where students make and share short videos on, on topics that have, have been sort of uh, relevant to them as, as part of their learning. Um, so you know about that one, do you, Matt? Yeah, that's very neat. We I learned about that just the other day, and it's it's very neat. So so as the as the teacher or the instructor, you 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 pose a question. You have ninety seconds. You're filming yourself, and then it throws it open, mm. um, to, and and then and everyone responds with their own ninety seconds response, which is really good because it helps. Obviously, it means that everyone gets their their time in the sun. They get their ninety seconds to respond, and then everyone. So it's a, it's a really kind of democratic way of making sure that everyone's got they get their talk time, and they also get to, to get to have their say about whatever whatever issue you've raised in your initial question. So it's, yeah, it's very neat. Ah, I like the sound of that. So that that's one that I definitely want to try myself. Um, the other one I've heard about, which haven't I haven't tried yet, is um, Viologue. Okay, don't know that one. No, don't know that one. So apparently what happens is that students watch a video and, and Vialog has a, a website and there are a whole load of um, interesting looking videos there of various lengths. You know, generally they tend to be quite short. And then there's the option of conducting an online discussion about what they've seen. So um, I, I'll have to explore that one because I think that looks quite, that, that one looks quite exciting. So um, as long as you can find videos which are relevant to the particular topic you've been discussing, I think it could have quite quite a lot of benefit for students. Sounds great. Sounds very interesting. Okay, so so let's move on to away from the kind of the nuts and bolts and the platforms towards um, sort of teaching styles. How how would you say your, your teaching style uh, differs from when you're delivering in real life? Yeah, I think I think me as a teacher, my my sort of teaching persona, if you like, is 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 broadly the same. Um, I think it's quite important when you're when you're actually online, that you look straight at the at the webcam, um, so that you're you're essentially making eye contact with with everybody in your group. So you know there are sort of small things like that. I've, I've heard of people who put um, a little photograph just by their webcam of of a, a kind of group of people, um, and they uh, kind of just to remind themselves that you know that they are actually talking to to somebody that there are real people out there who are listening to you, even if you can't see them. Um, so. So, you know, I'm I'm quite a sort of friendly, I like to think of myself as quite a friendly, approachable sort of teacher and trainer. Mm -hmm. So uh, I hope that, that that remains when I'm online as well. So in terms of my teaching style, I, I don't think there's a lot really that I've changed. Um, and I was quite struck the other day when I was working with a group of um, university teachers. That's a, a British Council project, which is a pilot project, which has just now uh, come to the end of its uh, running time. Um, we're in the evaluation stage now. It was quite interesting because uh, I had around 14 um, teachers in the group. Um, we started off, you know, in, in plenary mode. Um, I then set them up with something I wanted them to discuss and they broke up into groups of three or four um, and got on with their task. I asked them to nominate a reporter in each group. Um, I visited the rooms, each each of the rooms, and made sure that they were all okay with what they were doing, that there weren't any technical problems. Um, their task really was to discuss something and then to produce a PowerPoint slide, a single slide with a summary of, of what they talked about. Um, when they'd done that, after a couple of minutes, uh, we all came back into plenary and I invited the reporters from each group to report back on what they discussed using their slide. Um, and it was quite a revelation for me because I thought there was absolutely nothing that I did then that I wouldn't have done 
in a face-to-face training environment with them. Um, and it really brought home to me the power, I think, of, of the online environment, which is that if you're using it in that way, um, you can really you know, replicate uh, what goes on face to face in classrooms and and training rooms around the world. Um, so that that for me was quite a an instructive moment because, yes, if that's what you mean by teaching style, I would say that um, that there was nothing really significantly that changed. Yeah, yeah. I was just in, in just in terms of the kind of um, classroom management, setting up activities, making sure everyone knows what they're doing. That kind of side of teaching is that is that in some ways made easier almost by <laughs> by being online, or is that is that taking things too far? <laughs> I think it is. I think one has to remember also that um, when participants are obviously kind of um, involved, they are often in their home environment, so there can be the kind of distractions which you wouldn't normally have if you were all kind of together in a training room environment. Um, I did, uh, as you're probably aware, I, I was involved in a pilot scheme that the Garnet ran uh, last yeah. year with university sure. students in Senegal, which was which was a really, it was a great experience. Um, but I was very aware that I would be I would be looking at my students, you know, sort of on the screen, and I could see that some of them were trying to do their work from quite crowded dormitories. Some of them were outside. Uh, there was the noise of traffic. Um, and it's the same with my teachers recently. Um, the majority of them were women, so many of them obviously had child child care duties to perform whilst being online. So um, in that sense, you've got to make sure that everybody is, you know, that they're kind of clear about what they're doing, um, what, what the tasks are, what I'm asking them to do, despite some of the demands that are being made on them, you know, in their own environment. Mm, sure. Interesting stuff. So, so teaching style. So how would you, you would, you're in, you're in your Zoom room, you've done, you've gone into plenary, you've set up a task and you would then just literally assign um, people into groups using, using the software and just set them off into their own, uh, what they call, you, you called it uh, breakout, breakout, breakout room. rooms. Breakout rooms. Yeah. Yeah. And obviously, I mean, breakout rooms, you, you can have, you can put them in pairs and they can work together or you can have much larger groups as well. Um, something that I'm, something that I'm exploring, and I think that's probably my lack of knowledge is how you can actually share the PowerPoint slide with each of the breakout rooms. Um, what I've been doing is if I've got a task for them, I kind of tend to cut and paste and put it in the chat box so that they mm -hmm. can see it there. Some of them are very clever and they take a photograph of their screen so that they go into their breakout room and they've got the task on their phones but some of them use their phones for the for the actual um right. for the link uh to, right. to the to the zoom room so maybe that doesn't work so yeah that's something i have to sort out <laughs> i'm <laughs> working on that one yeah it must be possible i'm sure <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so in terms of um, activity types in the in the virtual classroom, um, what have you found that that works well, and what maybe doesn't work so well? Yes, I found um, certainly pair and group work. I think works really well as long as the technology is with you because obviously I, I work with teachers who are often in quite challenging uh, environments so Senegal was a case in point where uh, you know students would because of the unreliable internet connection would would kind of come and go so uh, I would say yes pair and group work can work extremely well if you're working uh, on zoom uh, through the use of your breakout rooms um, I found another thing that works well is handing over remote access to students uh, 
simply because they can be either in the plenary, so all together as one group, or they can be in their breakout rooms. But if you hand over remote access, anything that they have that they want to share, so if they might have a, they might have something, um, you know, stored in, in a folder on their laptop, for example, or they might have a useful link, website link that they want to show, um, they can actually do that uh, with each other, which I think is nice. Again, you, you want to kind of devolve responsibility slightly, because I think there's a danger possibly with the online world that it all becomes very focused on you as somebody who is kind of, you know, setting up the room, giving the instructions. But, you know, there are huge possibilities uh, open to you for, um, you know, encouraging student autonomy and independence. Um, and that's one of the things that I think you can do is the remote access. Um, so students can present materials to each other. They can share materials. They can also annotate materials. So there is an annotation tool in Zoom where students can actually, um, they can have their own whiteboard and they can actually brainstorm and, and put things on them. Um, you can also bring up, you know, kind of screenshots from your course book and using the annotation tools, you can get students to actually fill in uh, the gaps, for example, in, in an activity, if, if, that, if it's an exercise of that nature. Um, so that works really well. Something that I've done is um, a sound story where I, it was actually, I mean, I didn't have to make the sounds. It was fairly easy to find on YouTube, um, a kind of minute or so of uh, sounds, you know, the sound of a car mm -hmm. starting, the sound of a door slamming. Um, and then I played them that a couple of times and then asked them in groups to come up with a story, uh, which was based on the sounds that they heard. Um, and that, that seemed to work very well, you know, because, yeah. uh, you know, Zoom lends itself to something like that. There are some really nice icebreakers you can do. Um, there's one called My Precious, which is where uh, if you're meeting a new group and you want them to get to know each other, everybody uh, brings along um, a picture of something which is important to them. And they can actually share this. If your group is small, they could do it individually. If you've got a large group, you could put them into groups and they could show this photograph of whether it's a pet or um, a favorite place they like to go to or a particular food type of food that they like to eat, you know, anything basically, which is important to them, um, they can show and talk about it. So um, mm. that works really well. Um, I'm just coming to the end of a project with the British Council uh, Teaching for Success. And I've set up on the discussion forum uh, a task for them, which is called um, My Farewell Gift. And I want each of them to give our group a gift. So I've already posted mine, which is one of my favorite uh, songs. Um, right. And we will then each give our gift to the group. It might be a song, it might be a video clip, it might be a, a picture, a beautiful picture, you know, a recipe, it could be anything essentially. Um, and what's nice about these is that they're, they're very personalized tasks, which I think, you mm. know, enable um, participants, whether they're students or teachers to, to contribute and feel like they're you know, they may be a long way away. They may be completely disconnected in terms of geographical location. But I think something like that will make people feel that they're very much part of the group and that they can get to know each other better. Nice. Sounds nice. Lots of lots of scope for creativity and to, yeah, for, for students to express themselves and give give of themselves, which is lovely, which I guess moves moves nicely into, into my next question, really, about motivation and, and keeping students engaged in this in this um, yeah, remote, remote environment that they might be in? Yes, I think, you know, motivation is obviously 
um, it's it's a key area for for anybody involved in education, whether it's um, you know face to face classroom time or or online work. Um, I don't suppose really that I have any kind of magic answers to that because teachers ask me this a lot, you know, and have done over the years. Um, I think. Yeah, I think personalised tasks uh, as much as possible can can make things more meaningful for students. Um, certainly, I I think you can have a similar kind of lesson plan, if you like, to anything that you would do face to face. So you would most probably start with some kind of warmer or energizer. Um, you can do that online as well, but obviously some. Uh, energizers and warmers uh, would obviously have to be adapted. Um, something that I did recently, which was nice, was I had a picture that uh, that I showed them, which was related to the to the theme of the training session, and they had to put a tick or a cross, depending on whether they agreed with what they could see in the picture. So mm. you know that was a little warmer. It was um, it was short. It was kind of quite funny. It's funny for everybody to see the ticks and crosses appearing on the screen, um, and it also gave me an idea of who was involved and who wasn't. Um, I think when we get back to this question of motivation. It is sometimes quite difficult to to, to gauge that um, simply because um, where I suppose the way that I work with teachers because of their own internet unreliability sometimes um, you may not see their faces you may just see uh, a screen with their name on it so you know I will see my screen and there will be like fifteen little squares some of them will have faces in them and some of them will just be blank with the name and it's really hard to know whether people are with you or not in in that particular circumstances um i suppose the only way you find out really is when they go into their pairs or groups and you can see that they are actually engaged but i would say that's that's probably something which is a little bit difficult to to tell um i think to maintain motivation just doing the things that you would normally do so um clear outcomes for the session that you've you've planned um and sharing that with your students depending on you know their age and depending on how um able they are even even simple outcomes i think it's always worth sharing even with younger learners so that they know uh, what what they're going to be doing in that lesson um i think variety of activities is important so even though you're online there's still scope for you know showing a video playing some kind of um, listening text, for example, showing pictures. Um, you might argue that there's actually the scope for more variety. Um, I did an online training course last year, uh, which was really interesting because one of the group uh, said, uh, she planned this lesson around giving directions and of course we're all familiar with you know information gap activities in class where somebody will have a map and their partner will have questions or directions um, but she she basically did that but with google street view and nice. it was brilliant because she was based in uh, canada and she took us you know along a couple of streets and we had to direct her and and it was absolutely brilliant and it was far more engaging <laughs> and motivating yeah. than anything I could have done with a bit of paper um, yeah, in a sure. classroom, to be honest. So, you know, it, it, that was brilliant. Um, yeah, variety of interaction patterns as well. So not sort of sticking with, with the same interaction patterns, uh, i.e. sort of largely plenary, but trying to, to break that up with, with different modes of interaction. Um, and I think not forgetting the encouragement and praise that you would 
you would normally do in a face-to-face class. So, um, you know, whether you're doing that in the chat box and saying, you know, uh, acknowledging people's contributions and saying, well done, thank you, that's great, or mm-hmm. actually doing it verbally. But again, I think for, for your participants, whoever they are, to feel that you're listening, uh, that you're interested in what they're doing, I think that will also help a little with, with the motivational aspect. Great stuff. So that sounds like there's a lot of possibilities there for for motivating students that might not even be available to teachers in a in a real life classroom. Um, on the other side of the coin, what what pitfalls would you would you say there are to avoid? Um, I think it depends really. Um, you know who you're working with and where they are in the world. Um, for me personally, I think probably one of the the more frustrating aspects has been connectivity, um, simply because. Um, you know, with the best will in the world, people want to join your session, but um, either the internet goes down or the electricity, there's there's an outage, um, and therefore they, they can't. You can get around that by recording the live session. And then what I've done is uh, post the link uh, with some tasks for people who missed the session to do. So um, it's a chance for them to catch up on what they, they missed. Uh, but it's also the tasks. It, they might be a few simple questions or agree or disagree, you know, something, something to just in engage them in the topic um, at the same time so that they they are kind of motivated, if you like, to, to watch the recording and to work with it. But that's obviously, um, that's a sort of technical pitfall or, or practicality, if you like, and, and it's, it's usually beyond anybody's control. Um, I think... I think it's really important with your groups to to give them some sort of orientation to how we work online. Um, even though people are very familiar with the online world, um, it may be the first time they've ever been in a in a live Zoom session. So just doing the audio check, just if you can, helping them with some of the the easier technical sides. They they seem to in the end sort it out for themselves so you may get messages on the chat box saying i can't hear you or can you hear me and a few simple questions just telling them to check their audio settings check their volume level you know i'm no great technical wizard myself so um you just have to trust that that they they do they do find out what the fault is. Sometimes <laughs> the equivalent of slapping the TV on the top, um, just yeah. telling them to log in and, uh, sorry, log out and log in can sometimes help as well. The classic, the classic turn it off and on again. <laughs> yeah. Sort of yes. nine out of ten problems, isn't it? Yeah. That's right. Um, I think other other practicalities are things like getting good at multitasking. I, I mentioned this uh, earlier on. You know, um, the first couple of times you find yourself um, literally at the same time um, using the chat box to to welcome latecomers, um, whilst setting up the breakout rooms, while responding to comments in the chat box, um, while changing the name of somebody who's managed to log themselves in as Galaxy Five you know you have no idea who they are um all of these things uh do become easier but um i think certainly at the beginning there, there's a lot to me there seemed like quite a lot to do um but it does yeah i mean it's it's just a question of keeping calm i think um and knowing that all of these things uh are there for you to use the chat box the green screen you know the polling all of those things i mentioned um i think I think it's just important that you you can try and do them in as calm a way as possible because um, nobody else is aware of what's going on actually you know on on your laptop at that time and I think it's it's mm-hmm. quite easy in a way it's it's a bit like the classic 
duck paddling furiously under the water, but looking very calm and collected right. on the surface. Um, I think that's what kind of encourages me. Um, so that even though there's a lot going on, you know, in terms of what I'm doing, um, the, the participants are unaware of that. Um, a practical consideration is Zoom will allow you to mute all participants uh, on entry. So when they actually uh, enter the room, make sure that they're muted. It's quite easy to set up at the with the toolbar at the bottom or just go to participants simply because um, all participants will have a degree of background noise. And if you've got 15 people with 15 different you know, sort of backgrounds all feeding in. It's it's a real cacophony at times. Yeah, um, yeah. And it can be very distracting for everybody. I think another consideration really is your boundaries and your limits. I mean, I suppose this might apply more to when you're e-moderating, which is what I'm doing uh, also quite a lot of at the moment, in the sense that, um, okay, let's say you, you've done some kind of live session and, you know, your students or your teachers will contact you. Um, maybe they have a question. Maybe they want some follow-up resources. Um, you know, how available are you? Are you available at any time of the day and night? Um, uh, are you expected to respond, even though you might be in different time zones? And if so, you know, do you make that clear to your participants uh, at the outset because otherwise um, certainly I've got groups that are also communicating on WhatsApp um, and there is a sense I think and maybe that's just the world we inhabit nowadays that you are available 24 7 um, and you may not want to be uh, or you might be perfectly happy to do that so I think it's a good idea to decide in advance how available you want to be and then communicate that to your group clearly so that everybody's happy with that and they know when they can contact you nice nice tips thank you um i've got one more question if i may julietta mm. so what could institutions and individual instructions do um to ensure a positive outcome from from this move online this somewhat enforced move online i think that people have to feel um that it's it's not a kind of substitute necessarily for for face-to-face -face teaching and training um i think it is different i mean that that's obvious but i think it it can do more than simply replicate um face-to-face -face contact with with students or teachers for the reasons i've said earlier i think there are things that you can do online that you can't actually do um in the classroom and for me that that's a very very positive aspect of it um i think the other thing is to remember that it's it's not a whole world away from what people are doing anyway i mean your students are far more experienced and and kind of um, open to the online world than possibly we are, simply because a lot of their time is spent online. So for them, it's very familiar. And I think for teachers too, I mean, we're all kind of, you know, connected and wired up in some way. So it, I think it's just a question of getting practice and gaining confidence in actually using the platforms because the actual nuts and bolts of it are familiar to us already. And I think people just have to get in there and try it out. And obviously, they need the support of their institutions to do that. But um, yeah, I think I think seeing it as somewhere that you can have a lot of fun, you know, it's a very kind of playful environment, as well as a very valid 
educational environment too. And I think those those two combinations in some ways, I think, make it very, very attractive. But people people need to know that and to not feel afraid of it. There we go. What what words to finish on? Great stuff. I think I think I think we can finish finish there. So I'd like to say a, a, a massive thank you, uh, Julietta, for your for your time and for sharing your your expertise. This has been excellent, and I think there's uh, something. There'll be lots of things I think there that will uh, that teachers out there will find very helpful. So thank you very much. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. I hope what I've said has actually um, been of use. Um, as I've said, that there's lots more to learn, and I'm, I'm very keen to to learn myself. So yeah, onwards and upwards. Oh, thanks very much, Julieta. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And that's it from us today. If you'd like to get in touch or to see our latest updates, you can find us on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook at Garnet Education or head to garneteducation.com forward slash podcast for show notes and information about today's guest. Thanks for listening.